I'm John Sanchez. This is Steve Karski. Steve, why don't you kick us off with a little intro on yourself, and we'll go from there. All right. Sounds good, John. Uh, as John mentioned, my name is Steve Karski, and I spent over 30 years of my career in the insurance and financial services industry. I included That included seven years as a salesperson in an agency, and it included over 15 years in corporate America with large companies like Nationwide Insurance, for example. So I have a wide variety of experiences in, in both on the ground in smaller companies, but also some of the larger companies as well. You know, I think one of the things that's important for me is that personal growth was, has been a big part of my, uh, my career, my development, my whole career. And you, you learn that when you get into sales because sales is such a tough business that you really need your personal development to help you move forward. So that's where I am, John. And I, right now I have my own training organization. And just like you, I help people get better at what they do with through coaching and training. So I guess I'll start from where I am and how Steve and I met and then kind of go back from there. Steve and I met working for a seminar training company where that company basically just put the butts in the seats and that allowed Steve and I to do what we enjoy most, which is training people, coaching people. Um, and through that, we kind of got to know each other. Before I got into training, I described myself uh, as a recovering accountant. So I did uh, public accounting, working at a CPA firm for a couple of years. And I say recovering accountant because part of my personal development journey was especially working on my communication skills because I had a, an incident, which I, I'll get into at a later time, that made me realize I didn't have very good communication skills, even though I thought that I did. And I was coming across completely different to other people than I thought I was. And so I kind of use that as a, a motivation to start my personal development journey, which has led me into training other people because I realize there's a lot of other finance and accounting people like me who want to improve their communication skills, but they're not quite sure where to start or how to start. And that's one of the things that I help them with. And I say recovering accountant also because I kind of feel like there should be a 12-step program for accountants as it relates to communication to kind of take them step by step on how do we do this. And there isn't. So there is going to be one because I'm actually writing that book, uh, the, the Communication Skills 12-Step Program, but that's another story. So Steve and I met, we came together and decided, hey, let's start a podcast. Let's do some training together. Let's collaborate. And Steve came up with a great acronym to summarize four of the key sort of pillar concepts that we focus on in a lot of our work. So Steve, you want to talk a little bit about RAMP and sure. how it came to be and why? Yep. And, and our acronym is RAMP, as, as John mentioned. Now, uh, one of the things that I've been involved in for a number of years to help me with platform skills is Toastmasters. And Toastmasters International, I've been a member of Toastmasters for seven or eight years. And I had a speech coming up that I had to prepare for and thinking of a subject matter. And I thought, you know, the coronavirus just was kicking off. It was in uh, March of 2020 when that situation occurred. And I thought, you know, what do people really need from the standpoint of how do we help them through the coronavirus? And what can I do for my fellow Toastmasters to inspire them to get better and, and really focus on the things that I thought were most important. And so I kind of listed those things. And then through listing them and playing around with some of those, we came up with um, we came up with the acronym of RAMP, and it fit really well into all the components that uh, that John and I have talked about for many for the last couple of years as being part of that personal development. And so the R simply stands for rituals, routines, and habits. A in RAMP stands for achieving your goals or achievements and goals. The M is your mindset. So much of, you know, so many times people forget the mindset. They go through a goal setting process, for example, and they forget mindset is a critical component. What you believe and the way that you think has a key or important aspect of how you're going to actually show up. And then the, the P is for your purpose and priorities. And that was a situation that, 
you know, if you don't remember that your family, your uh, beliefs, your values are super important to making sure that if you're going to be successful, you've got to be successful in the way that is most important to you. And that's your purpose, mission and values, purpose and priorities. So that's, that's kind of the way ramp was, was started, John. I know we've kind of talked through that and we've tweaked some things as we've gone along. Um, what's been your experience with, with ramp? Well, we, you and I have talked about this before, about how I, I have a tendency to be pretty ADD. Uh, I've never had a doctor tell me that I am, but I've had enough friends who have been diagnosed ADD tell me that I am, that uh, who knows, it may be true or not, but I'm very easily distracted. And so structure helps me a lot with staying focused. And so that's one of the things that RAMP does for me is it gives me a structure to say, okay, I have a lot of ideas and my brain's always kind of going in different directions and going a million miles a minute. But by having a framework that's easy to remember, like four letters, the R-A-M-P, it helps me even as I'm going through thoughts that might be going all over the place to go, well, how does that relate back to one of those concepts? And I, through many conversations that we've had, it seems like I can always find a way to relate what we're talking about back to one of those four which is why I get more and more comfortable all the time with the idea that these are kind of foundational principles. That's not to say there aren't tons of other ones that are also super useful and, and good. Um, but these are just a great starting point. Um, for me, routines and habits is probably the first one. It's just coincidental that it's the first one in the acronym, but it's the first one for me that I think I could use the most work on. Because once I get into a routine, and it's kind of the beauty of routines and habits in the first place, is that once you establish that new habit, you can put it on autopilot. It's kind of the, the very nature of habits, right? Just, you don't have to think about them. Um, I'm going to start my timer, by the way, to keep us a little more focused. Um, Good idea. So that's, that's been, for me, I think, the place that I've probably spent a, a, the most um, – mental energy thinking about first of all what are the habits i would like to establish good habits what are bad habits that i already have that i'd like to get rid of and then you know where do i start you and i know the information um but as we'll get into when we talk about coaching it's not just information if information was the key to everything we would all be rich fit and happy. Um, but everyone isn't those, those three things, right? Cause yeah. there are hundreds of books that tell you how to be all three of those different things. <laughs> it's not the information that we're missing that, that's holding us back from that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your experiences with habits, as far as habits that have been a challenge for you and things that you've overcome or ha habits that you continue to fight and maybe some examples of, of how habits have impacted your career. So I think one of the best habits that I've gotten myself into, oh, I've got my virtual background, so you can't, can't see when I hold it there. <laughs> one of the best habits I established years ago that has stuck is drinking water. Um, just keeping, you know, a glass of water, uh, on my desk all the time and I just sip it throughout the day. For me, the importance of that was not just that it's a good idea to drink water throughout the day, but I used to drink soda all the time, just empty, bad calories. Yeah. Um, and I'm, now that I'm thinking about it, I, I don't remember that there was any kind of a trigger event. I think it was just a series of enough people that I respected who had kind of just sworn off of soda. Um, I might have one every now and then, and I drink a cup of coffee in the morning, but almost always the only other thing that I drink is water. Um, so that's one good habit that I, I established pretty easily and it stuck. The biggest one I think I struggle with is a regular exercise regimen. Mm -hmm. I've got all kinds of resources, just like we we're talking about with information. I've got a uh, DDP yoga uh, DVD set. Um, I've got exercise bands. I've got dumbbells. I mean, I've got the stuff that I need. 
I've got the knowledge. It's getting into that habit yeah. that I, I need to do. How about you? Well, and, you know, when you think about the habits component of it, exercise has been one of those that I've, fortunately, running is some, something I've kept up with for a number of years. It's something that I really, that does more for me than just the physical fitness portion. It allows me to clear my head out, allows me to think, allows me to get away from from people and distractions and just breathe, gives me a good sweat, feels good when you're done, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, so that's been a habit that I've consistently done. I've, I've had, like you and, and many of us, struggles with various habits. Um, read a book uh, a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, called The um, Miracle Morning. And that was all about getting up at 5 a.m. And and I did. I got up at 5 a.m. for several months and had a morning routine where I got up, I meditated, I read, I went out for my run, came back, got ready, went to work, and so on. Um, and I find now as a, uh, a business owner with a, a more flexible schedule than a work schedule, it's easier for me not to, to get up at 5 a.m. and go out for you know, a run or to meditate and, and so on. It's a little easier to get up at 6.30 and go for a run, which is not really a great habit to have. So I'm trying to improve that habit by getting up earlier and, and giving myself that sense of urgency to to make time for it. Because I know if I'm up early in the morning, only good things happen. If I'm up late at night, nothing good ever happens. I mean, you know, you sit there, you veg out in front of the TV or you're eating things that you shouldn't be eating. Um, you're decompressing and, and rewinding or unwinding, but it's not helping you, you know? So uh, I am making it a habit to get to bed at 10 to get up by six or, or earlier. Um, ideally I'd get to bed at nine 30, but it's um, you know, you have to worry about and think about your family life too. So um, that's the other situation is, you know, my wife and I both have to work on our count, our schedules and so on within the, the habits component. I, so from the way now. you describe it, it sounds like it was easy for you to establish the running habit. Was it, or was it not, not easy in the beginning? It, it really was. Um, it's, I had the good fortune of having uh, growing up in a family where my father, he was not a, he was not a long distance runner or anything, but he believed in fitness and he would take, and I'm one of six kids and he would take us, after church on Sundays and we would go to this uh, dike that was near our house and we would run on the dike and we would jog a couple of miles on the hunt along the, the dike. I had a couple of brothers that did run in track. And so I was around that experience. So I had some of that understanding. I never ran in track. I played baseball instead. Um, but fitness was always, our activities were always a part of what we did growing up. And it was partly my father's influence, but also, you know, the brothers and the competitiveness of that. I have four brothers and a sister. And uh, so having that component makes a big, big impact. And so after high school and college, I continued to run just because I knew I was not one of those folks that wanted to just let things go. And running is so inexpensive and so easy to do. You can do it anywhere. So I found that uh, I would argue it's simple, easier. but not necessarily easy. <laughs> That's a good point. And it's That's a What's funny, not funny, haha, but funny, um, kind of <laughs> ironic to me is I ran cross country in high school and I didn't realize until I was in my twenties that, um, I, I didn't really enjoy running all that much. <laughs> I got into running in high school because all of the guys in my neighborhood who I hung out with and who were my friends were runners because they were all Latin. So they grew up playing soccer. So okay. cross Cross country was like a natural sport for them to, to add on in addition to soccer, right? Just because yep. of all of the running. And for me, cross country was just like a, another way to hang out with my buddies. Mm -hmm. And then when I got into college, I was doing some 5Ks and 10Ks here and there and realized, you know, when I run by myself, it's just not, it wasn't fun to me at all. Yeah. Um, and I, I continued to do it for a while just as a way to stay in shape. But I kind of stopped after a while because it just wasn't fun. I, I did other things like racquetball or you know, a handful of other, other different things. But um, so I'm curious. 
So, oh, I want to make a quick point before I get back to this question, which, which is um, taking notes when this is a communication tip that's slightly off topic, but not, not much. When you were talking, I was tempted to interrupt with questions several times. I had to remind myself that a good way to prevent yourself from interrupting people when they're talking with questions is just make sure that you keep a notepad so that you can jot it down, whatever that thing is you wanted to interrupt and ask. Let them finish and then go back to your notes. So one of the notes that I wrote down was when you were talking about running and establishing that habit, it sounded like part of what may have made it easier for you was you immediately off the top of your head when I asked you about it, listed all positive things, right? If you mm -hmm. would ask me about running, the first thing that things that pop into my head are more negative. That, oh gosh, it's hard to get started and I'm stiff and uh, you know, all these <laughs> negative things. You right. immediately went to the positives. Do you think that was more because of you grew up in that environment of people that were always focused on fitness or what, what do you think brought up the positive association so immediately for you? That's a great running? question, John. I think, um, I think it, that's why they pay me the big bucks, Steve. <laughs> I don't think it. I don't think it. That's it, John. But I think it's a, uh, a situation where, uh, for me, it's well. You're competing all the time with with somebody, but for me, being an introvert, uh, being a quieter one of even of our family, it was easier for me to get out and go for a run when I needed that time alone, and so running kind of gave me kind of a twofer, if you will. I get out and away from people. I make an excuse to get away from people and I get to have some time to get some fitness. Um, I've always, I've always really appreciated fitness and it's not something that, you know, again, my father wasn't a fitness fanatic or anything, but he always did some, a little bit of exercise here and there and kept us fit. Um, I have some, I have a brother, for example, that can't run anymore because he just was such a hardcore runner. His knees just gave out. Um, and I'm, and I'm kind of the opposite. I run. And when there, when it is a situation where, you know, things are achy or I feel like I'm, um, I'm a little worn out. I, I don't have a problem walking. You know, for me, okay. it's not about, I don't have to push myself and push myself. It's not about the time I've run 21 marathons and, as a lot. as I've aged, and and as we've talked about, you know, I ran my first one at age fifty, so I ran twenty of them between fifty and fifty-six. But that's a whole other story. Yeah, we um, should do a whole podcast just on on that whole journey. But but that that's a situation where my time I didn't have to beat my time every time I went out. My purpose for doing that was to finish, and you go through the commitment of training and preparing. And so what your objective is and what your purpose is. My purpose for going out and running is physical fitness, but it's also mental, you know, mental release and a mental um, mindset, um, some mind space, some stress relief, all that kind of stuff. But it also, I'm, I'm at a point where, you know, when I haven't run in a couple of days, I am, I don't know if it's um, because I miss it or if it's because I feel guilty about not running, but I know it's important to me. So I know I need to get out and, and when I miss it, when I miss a couple of days, I know the next day I got to get out and run. So, you know, I think this might be a good um, segue to mindset. Uh, it's, it's a little out of order of our acronym, but you have a whole different mindset about running than I have. It's a whole different conversation in your head, a whole different set of beliefs right. um, that you have. And again, I, you know, I, I, I didn't ever really get into running because it was something I enjoyed. It was something initially, I, I enjoyed it kind of as a secondary thing, you know, the, the physical benefits from it. But, you know, I got into it more for other reasons. And now my main motivation is for the physical fitness aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to do t is uh, – find ways to make it more enjoyable so that it's more of a complete package deal. Like it sounds like it is for you. So I guess one question I, I would have for you that relates to running, but also maybe mindset when you're running, are you listening to music? Do you listen to audiobooks? Are you not listening to anything? 
I have, I have done all of those in the past. Uh, typically, especially the last couple of years, it's always been audiobooks. So typically, you know, I use uh, Hoopla, which is through the local library. Uh, put on if my it's free, it's for headphones, <laughs> put on my headphones, stick my phone in my pocket and go for a run. If it looks cloudy or rainy where I might be worried about my phone, I have no problem going out and running with nothing in my ears. And occasionally okay. I'll still do that. Uh, I used to run with music, but I thought, you know, if I'm going to go out and try to be entertained or distracted, I might as well be distracted with something that's going to benefit me. And that's what uh, right. books on audiobooks can do for you. I've done that as well with uh, some, some kind of like an audiobook or a podcast or something like that. Speaking of phones, I held up the phone earlier because we had talked about setting a timer to keep us sort of on task <laughs> so that we don't get too far off. So I'm just going to set that for our next topic since we're going to kind of transition into mindset. So let, let's, you, let me ask you, John, I'm going to get transition to you for a minute on mindset sure. and, and get off of the, uh, let's get off the running, but I want to get to the, that I know you listen to a lot of podcasts and I know you listen mm -hmm. to um, some audiobooks as well. Um, what, how has that helped your mindset or how's that had an impact on mindset or do you, do you do, audiobooks and podcasts that relate to mindset? What's been your experience with that? Yeah, so for sure, um, I do both. So just the book Mindset by Carol Dweck is, is one that's in, in my audiobook library right now that I kind of rotate them because I think my ADD brain, the shiny ball syndrome, likes the variety of, you know, maybe in the morning I listen to one, in the afternoon a different one. Um, I have a dog, and so I, every time I walk my dog, I put my headphones on, and I use that as an opportunity. So even on the days that I'm a slacker and I don't go out and run, uh, I still get that dog walking time in where I'm listening to either an audio book like Carol Dweck's Mindset, um, Think and Grow Rich is one that I've listened to more than once. Um, some of the books actually came – from podcasts, uh, hmm. Tim Ferriss, there, there are two different Tim Ferriss books that I have that I first discovered on the Tim Ferriss podcast, uh, four hour work week, which is one of his older ones. Probably I think his first book, yeah. uh, tools of Titans is basically like, I look at tools of Titans, like a modern day think and grow rich in the sense that the crux of the book is he interviewed a bunch of super successful people and in that book, put some of the principles that they use to become successful, which is very much what Think and Grow Rich is all about. Mm -hmm. And then the other one uh, of his is Tribe of Mentors. And so that's a, a section each on different mentors that he's had over the years. Um, and then podcasts, some of the ones that I listen to that are mindset focused. Jim Quick, I know you listen to him as well. Uh, and his book... Um, what is it? Limitless? Limitless. Mm -hmm. Limitless. Uh, probably a third of that book is about mindset. That's one of the three pillars he talks about. There's another one that I find really good with mindset related things called impact theory. Uh, that's Tom Bilyeu. I think his name is B-I-L-Y-E-U. He talks a ton about mindset, specifically about fixed and growth mindset. Um, and what he, uh, he talks especially more lately about the anti-fragile mindset. We could do a whole podcast on, on uh, resiliency. The anti-fragile is there's actually a book by that name. Um, and it's a little bit different than resiliency, but it's, it's similar. Um, what else? Those are some of the main so, ones. So why do you, or what got you into podcasts, I guess, and, and, and how, how do you stay engaged in them? And it sounds like you still mix it up quite a bit and listen to different oh, ones. Yes. Yeah. yeah um, but, um, but how what did you get started in, on podcasts? How did that start? I think you? somewhere I heard about the four hour work week. I don't remember how I stumbled across the four hour work week. I can't remember if it, the chicken and egg thing with Tim Ferriss, if I found his book through his podcast or vice versa. But I think Tim Ferriss's podcast was the first one that I started listening to uh, more than just like a one or two episode kind of thing. 
that was the first one I subscribed to and I would check back and see who he had on. Um, and I think what, what hooked me on podcasts in general and on his specifically is he has such a diverse array of people that he has on. So one episode, he might have a, a PhD neuroscientist on another time, another episode, he might have some uh, world-class athlete, and then he might have on someone who is like a, a retired uh, military veteran, and they'll talk about, you know, veteran experiences. So it's super diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe Rogan is like that too. That's that's the thing I like about Rogan is if you look at Joe Rogan surface level, um, you would never expect the variety of people he has on his show. For people that don't know who he is, his main – things that he does is he's a stand-up comedian and he's a UFC commentator, right? So he, he calls professional mixed martial arts fights. And yet he has on some of the most fascinating people in the world on his show, Elon Musk and uh, Dan Carlin and just all over the board. Mm-hmm. What have you, from the standpoint of uh, habits, you know, and it relates directly to mindset. So, I know you do have your rituals, if you will. Um, what have you found helpful from your ritual or habit standpoint to keep your mindset in a growth mindset standpoint and a positive mindset standpoint? For me, we talked about this a bunch of different times, having lists, writing things down, and structure for me have been very helpful. So for example, I have, uh, this was not a plant or a setup. It's just always right here. I have a, like a little binder and it's just like a, I mean, this is something that was on sale when school started, nothing fancy at all. It's just a ring binder. And I have things in here, like for example, my list of values, the habits that I want to establish that I, I don't have clearly established yet. Um, I have in here um, different resources for different things. So if I wanted to go look up something on mindset, I have um, playlists on YouTube of YouTube videos of different motivational uh, videos. Uh, so those are some of the ones that, that mm-hmm. work for me. Why, why do you? you have a book versus doing it electronically? That is a great question, Steve. I actually have experimented over the years with both. And I think for me, I'm very visual. So when I'm in my office, I prefer to have something that I physically touch. You know, I prefer a a notebook or a notepad, Mm -hmm. uh, something physical that I can see and touch. Um, I also try to keep as much of that as possible electronically. So if I'm not in my office, I still can access it. But I much, much prefer something that's on paper. It makes me feel old to say <laughs> to admit that, but I just I just prefer it. What about to you? To each his own. Well, you know, from, from my standpoint, um, when I need that help, if you will, on, on mindset, I go back to something that Tony Robbins talks about, and that is the power of questions. And he has a, a whole approach on how to change your mindset as it relates to questions. So it always starts off with what are three things you're really grateful for in your life? What are three things? And don't just think about the people or the things you're grateful for, but how does that make you feel to be so grateful for that person or for that thing to be so grateful to be here, even though we're in COVID so grateful that we've got zoom available so that we actually can connect because if it wasn't for technology, COVID would be extremely, extremely hard if we weren't able to connect with people from a zoom standpoint, if it was only, via phone, for example. Um, and then the other thing is, so go through what's great, what's, you know, what are you grateful for? Um, always gets into his other question is, what are you really excited about in your life right now? What really excites you? And certainly this podcast is exciting to me because I love the topics we talk about. And, uh, and we get into some, some interesting discussions, you and I, when we get a chance to meet. So I'm looking forward to having some excellent guests on our podcast that we can talk talk to and learn a little bit about their experiences with these subjects as well. Uh, And then the last one that I tend to ask is who do you love and and how does that make you feel? 
And oh, so you go to question. that that love piece and not just think about, well, my, you know, my wife, my sister, my brothers, my kids, you know, don't even don't rattle the names off, but think about, you know, how does that make you feel really knowing how much they love you and how much you love them? And so those individual questions, if you can take the time to really feel the emotions and, and experience the question itself, it can really help. It helps me shift my mindset from, let's say, worry and stress to uh, now it's time to get back to work. That's a great question. Um, when you mention uh, being grateful, like asking yourself things that you're grateful for, it's a perfect example of how routines and lists help me. I actually have, so I, I created my own planner page. It's basically all the same stuff from like the Franklin planner pages with some tweaks that I made, just stuff that I wanted to add. Yep. One of them is on the notes page. So in a typical Franklin planner page, it's just, you've got a bunch of stuff on one side and on the other side, it's just empty for notes. Right. So at the top of that page on mine is three things I'm grateful for. So it, for, it forces me to think about it. It just reminds me every day. So even if I'm bad about the habit, I have a, a physical reminder um, right. on that. So I find that helpful. Um, How about the next one, John? What about, let's go shift over to the, uh, the goal setting component and achievements, mm -hmm. achievements and goals. Um, you know, certainly goals and achievements is part of every discussion from any... Um, Incoming. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, goals and achievement are, you know, important for anybody that's trying to be a success. What have you, what process do you use for your own goal setting? And, and maybe over the years, what have you found to be most helpful? What are some examples of how goals have helped you achieve some of your success? So one of the, the newer ones for me is this, this page that I was talking about that I, I created that I, I tweaked for my, to keep myself focused. And so it, you know, on this page, one of the things is just a daily task list, right? It's just a to-do list. And so what I did to keep my daily task focused on goals is I added a column next to the to-do item that is a role goal value column. Mm -hmm. And that forces me to think, okay, on my to-do list for the day is uh, fix the sink, right? I got a, a leaky sink downstairs, right? Okay, so now I look at that and I go, well, the column next to it, I'm supposed to fill in. What role, goal, or value does that relate to? Mm -hmm. So it forces me to say, well, if it's on my to-do list, it should relate to one of those three things or it doesn't have any business on my to-do list. Right. So I think about it and I go, okay, what's the role or the goal? Well, in this case, it's a kind of a mundane thing, but it still relates to my wanting to be organized, right? The value of being organized. Okay. Right? To me, I see a leaky sink and it just feels disorganized. It feels unclean, mm -hmm. you know, clean, tidy, organized. Those kind of, to me, are kind of all kind of under an umbrella. Um, so again, for me, lists, checklists, uh, things that are written down that are reminders um, are very helpful. The other thing for me that I do, again, being visual, uh, if you ever see me sit back and, and look like this, like I'm looking like off into the clouds or something, <laughs> on the wall in front of me above my computer monitor, I have a bunch of things posted, uh, one group of which is goals. Mm -hmm. So they're actual, so as an example, one of the thing, one of the thing goals, a financial or a, a thing goal for me, is uh, I want to buy a, a new RAV4. So I have pictures of a RAV4 out doing its 4x4 thing of the interior of the RAV4. Because to me, that makes it a little bit more emotional. I go, oh, man, that looks so comfortable and cool and fun and all that. As opposed to just text a RAV4, right? Yeah. RAV4, it's not a, a Porsche or some crazy, you know, supercar. <laughs> it's just a car that I like. But the more uh, tangible and touchy-feely, that reminder is the more motivating it is mm -hmm. to, to keep me focused on it. And so it, it physically keeps me focused looking at those pictures, but the pictures also help me stir the emotion that attaches me to the goal. So those are just a few of them. What, what are so some of the ones? Before you, before you transition to me, let me just ask you, what's been your, can you give us a story of a situation where you actually had 
kind of those images on the wall and and it came about or um uh let's see so let me th- so obviously none of the ones that are on the wall now because those are ones that i'm working towards so let me think about um oh there was one i so there's one that i i i'll give you two quick ones one was the the robbins madonna's training program uh, that I finished up a few months ago, which is everybody that's watching this has probably heard of Tony Robbins. So he has this uh, training program to train coaches in the techniques that he uses to coach people. So for years I'd been wanting to do that and it was just a back burner thing. And then I finally decided I'm going to go ahead and do this. So I pulled the trigger and I, I got myself into the training program. And then it wasn't something that I put on uh, pictures in front of me. But what I, well, actually I did. That's, that's not, uh, I'm making myself a liar. There's something <laughs> right here that I can show you. Um, here we go with the checklist again. I actually created a checklist for all of the modules in the training program. And so I c- keep that in front of me. I've not maintained it. Uh, it's kind of outdated because I finished the program. Um, but that kept it in front of me. So I could just glance over at it and go, oh, I got a lot of empty boxes there. Yeah. Right. And then I also have um, different visuals of different concepts that I learned in the coaching program. Mm-hmm. So again, another thing that it's a more emotional thing than a checklist. It's more engaging than a checklist, but both of those things give me kind of like, okay, I'm here and I want to be there. Okay. Got to move towards it. Oh, and here's some more emotional things that get me a lot more engaged to motivate me to do what I need to do to move on it. Yep. So what about you? Yeah, what are absolutely? So like you, I've got a couple of things up on the wall, and actually, I was thinking as you were talking, I need to make some of these my background. But but like for example, this is a uh, you probably can't see it, but it's a picture of a lakefront property, and that is one of the uh, the big items I have on my list is to buy some lakefront property. Um, Lake Norman or someplace else? I, I, Lake Norman's where it starts right now, but I'm not sure if, if that's ultimately where it would be. But it, it could be Lake Norman and Lake Wiley, uh, one of the lakes around here. It's not too far away. Um, but it's also, you know, not a cabin in the woods. It has to be a nicer place. So that's, that's one of the current goals that I have. But one of the experiences I had was um, – when I was a, uh, a sales manager with Nationwide Insurance, uh, we had a contest to go to Hawaii and, uh, and had to hit our goals to go to Hawaii. And they gave us these trifold cardboard pieces of things. And I kept that thing on my desk religiously and looked at it pretty much on a regular basis. And, you know, one of those things where, lo and behold, at the end of the year, I qualified to go to Hawaii with a few of the other sales managers. And so it, it's just those symbols and those visuals in front of you make a huge impact. I'll give you another quick example of, of how I saw it happen in, in that experience. Uh, when I was a sales manager, there was a, uh, an agent I was working with. And at the time we went through a little bit of a transition and the commission schedule was getting adjusted or something. I can't remember exactly what was taking place, but in essence, I talked to this agent and she, she was a very much like you, John, she loved systems and she loved processes. And so we talked and I said, okay, how much do you want to do? How much do you want to earn next year? How, how much do you want to grow next year? And she said, well, I want to grow my business by 10%. And so I did a little bit of calculation and, and came back with a spreadsheet that said, look, if you grow your business by this many policies, you will grow it 10% revenue. Let's get you and your staff focused on the number of policies. And so I broke it down into a month by month basis. So if September or let's say January was a slower month, for example, she might need to add 20 new policies instead of where March, she might have to add 30 new policies. But we broke it down based on adding 10% each month throughout the year. And we mapped out the whole year and she met with her staff and basically said, folks, if we hit this monthly number, our monthly goal, we're going to, uh, we're going to each receive some kind of bonus, you know, so everybody gets a bonus. Everybody wins or everybody loses. If we hit it, we all get a bonus. If we don't, nobody gets a bonus. 
And, uh, and I worked with her for about seven months or so. And then I was transferred to the uh, home office in Columbus, Ohio. And I kind of forgot about it. But every month I sat down and talked with her about it. And we reviewed it every month up to that point in time. But then about uh, six months later, I met her at a conference. And we were talking. And she said, Steve, you won't believe it. And I didn't believe it, but she said, we followed it, we tracked it, and we grew 10%. And it was one of those <laughs> scenarios where you make a plan, you have a vision, you lay out the plan, and as long as you're meeting what your plan and your vision is, you're going to, if you don't make it, you're going to be darn close. But, but she hit right on the numbers based on, focused on tracking her, uh, her results and keeping her team focused. And I think one of the keys was giving her teams that incentive to, know that if they hit those numbers, they'll get a bonus, but it encouraged the team to track those numbers as well. So that number became important to all of them. Have you found that um, people ha sometimes have a difficulty reverse engineering the steps to get to a goal? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that is, that is truly the case, John. I think one of the things that, well, I'll give you a good example. You know, we take your car or, or my uh, lakefront property. Um, I can get there in a lot of different ways. I can start playing the lottery. You know, I mean, I can, I can get there in a lot of different ways. <laughs> playing the lottery is probably not a great strategy. Give me a seven. Danny needs a new car. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Roll the bones. But even if you look at it from an income standpoint, you know, if you look at your current income and somebody, when I was in corporate America and I had a consistent salary every month, um, that I either had to plan on how much do I need to save and how long will it take me to get the savings enough for a down payment? Or I'd look at um, how can I increase my revenue by going out and doing new things on the weekend or in the evenings. And so you either have to cut your expenses to be able to save or increase your revenues and save that money. And so kind of a, but it isn't, it isn't, one size fits all. So when you're growing right. to achieve something, it's not like my way of doing it is going to be the same as your way. Yeah, I think I've noticed in the past too that sometimes uh, the the number of options of how to get there can sometimes be a complication for people because it hmm. they get scattered, right? They say, well, right. in my business, we make money. We have five different revenue streams. And so there's, you know, they sit there and they work out all these permutations in a spreadsheet of all the different ways that they could financially reach that goal. But it's so scattered that they'd almost be better off if they said, you know what, we're, we're just going to focus on increasing our sales of this one particular product line. And whatever happens with the rest, that's great, but we're just going to focus on this so they don't get distracted with so many possibilities that now they're just like a, you know, what's that analogy? Like a, um, an octopus on roller skates. They're just all over the place trying to, you know, they're trying to move forward, but they're just all over. And some businesses are in that situation where sometimes I think they focus on the wrong things. They focus on, uh, these, this department's not meeting their goals. So we got to beat them up and, and keep them where because of maybe the marketplace, the one that's doing the best is where they should spend all their time and effort and energy to get the one that's doing the best to do even better as opposed to getting the ones that might be, and again, it might be the market. It could be uh, a variety of things, but um, so many times you, you try to improve on your weaknesses and your weaknesses aren't necessarily going to get you where you need to go. Yeah. Another thing with goals and, and proceeding towards them, um, a guy I used to work with was telling me a story about, um, it was a startup company that he uh, was a partner in. And he said that you know, it was like their five-year anniversary or something. And mm -hmm. so they had this meeting and they were talking about their business plan and how well they'd met their goals. And one of the partners chimed in and he said, you know, we did pretty good this year financially. But when we look at the business plan, we didn't follow the business plan. But we need to revise our, uh, our strategies and our tactics to follow the plan. And he said another partner stood up and he said, wait a second you want to follow the plan or do you want to follow the money? So <laughs> there you go. As a business, our goal was to make a certain amount of profit. And one partner was like, well, we're, we're off track of the plan. Whereas the other one said, look, 
as long as we're hitting our profit number, let's just keep doing what we're doing. So there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. I think that's where the values piece, you know, we haven't talked a whole lot about purpose priorities, but I think that's where the value piece becomes important because it could be very easy to say, well, let's go back to the plan because it's very important how we reach the goal. Right. Um, that conversation I was talking to you about earlier today with my friend, Mike, that I used to work with that works at Hasbro. Now he was talking about how, when he, uh, he used to work at Disney when he worked at Disney, their values was a gigantic part of every conversation when he talked about goals, because mm -hmm. if they reached a financial metric, a financial goal, but they violated Disney values, that was a no go. Oh yeah. And there's a lot of companies that they never have that, that conversation about their, va their corporate values. Right. And so sometimes they'll unethically hit a goal Mm -hmm. And the conversation will never come up because they're so focused on that goal. So that's very true, John. And I think as individuals, we can do the same thing. And that leads us to that purpose and values. And, yeah. and if, if you get your car by stealing it at the car dealership, you can get your car, <laughs> but is that going to impact your values? And, uh, and is that going to be the way to, to do that? So if you don't have values outlined or purpose and priorities, uh, yeah, you'll do whatever it takes to achieve a goal, but it may not be long-term what you really will feel proud about. Well, and even, I think it's, it's really important. The, the more sacrifice that you're likely to have to go through to get to your goal, the more important clarity on your purpose and, and your values is. For some reason, when, you, when you're talking, the, the example that came into my head I watch a lot of UFC fights, mixed martial arts, and mm -hmm. it's super common that these professional athletes will drop a lot of weight quickly to make the weight limit that they fight at. Right. And they're so focused on that goal of, of making weight that sometimes they do things that are really unhealthy. They'll dehydrate themselves severely. There've mm -hmm. been several guys that have been like, they've had to call the fight off and go to the hospital because they were wow. taking such drastic measures, dehydrating themselves. They wouldn't drink any water. They would go into a sauna and just sweat their buns off. And the goal was in mind, but they lost track that, hey, the way we get there is important. Right. Um, and so there's been a big shift now. There's a lot of conversation about this in professional fighting about um, the, the safe, ethical ways to do it. And I say ethical because a lot of these guys just rely on their trainers and their coaches. Right. Mm -hmm. And those trainers and coaches might be telling them something that's going to hurt them, which is unethical, but it's going to get them to their goal and they get paid to get that guy to the goal. Right. So exactly. So people don't think about sometimes that, that, Oh yeah, that could be unethical because they think, well, the guy's doing it to himself. It's not the other guy. Well, kind of, kind of not. There's still a team, mm -hmm. um, even though it's an individual sport kind of thing. How have you kept focus on, on your purpose and priorities uh, with some of those goals that you talked about? What are some of the ways that you found helpful? Sure. You know, and, and I have a list of, I think, uh, 15 uh, values, if you will, John. I created them a long time ago. And, and one of the challenges that I've faced, and I think many people do, is Sometimes you write those things down or you write your mission down and it goes on a shelf somewhere. You don't review it on a regular basis. Uh, fortunately, I have it up on the wall now. So it's, it's something that, that I do review on a regular basis. But I will say this, um, a lot of values that many people have, I've found in my own case, a lot of things are ingrained in you and it's intuitive. You know, values like my family is very important and intuitive. Integrity is very important to me. I am never going to be somebody that will try to steal a car or, or commit a crime in order to achieve my goal um, because it just, it's going to look bad on the family. It's going to feel, it's going to be wrong to feel wrong. It just, everything about it is something that I'm repelled from. And so I'm not, I don't even have to worry about it. That's a good hard no. Nope, not going to commit a felony to, to win that prize or to do achieve that goal. Um, it's quick and easy for me to, to take that and put that on the list of, 
no goals. But that was not because it was on my list of values. It's because it's what I, how I was brought up and what was ingrained the, in me. The, the mere fact of you taking the time and effort to go through that exercise on the front end, I think is, is it's such a critical piece because you see mm -hmm. this happen all the time where someone will have an opportunity presented to them that may require them to do something unethical. Right. And they sit there and they struggle with it. They, they're stressed out. and they're like, What am I going to do? I could make all this money, but it feels kind of not right. And, but then you come across somebody like yourself that's put in that time to think through what are my values, what's important. And somebody gives you an opportunity that involves something unethical. And it's like a, it's a nanosecond decision mm -hmm. for you. It's just like a hard no, like you said, right? Right. I, I see it all the time on um, – my mom is addicted to that show survivor uh -huh. and, and I, I watch old, we've watched old seasons together. We've binge watched okay. old seasons of survivor and you see this come up on that show all the time because they're playing for a million dollar prize. Right. And many times in that game, they have to lie to somebody and pull, pull the wool over their eyes right. in order to get further in the game. And you see these people, sometimes you'll see people go, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And that's it. Right. They don't struggle with it. And then other people you see, it will drag on episode after episode. They're going, you know, to get myself further, I could do X, Y, Z. I don't want to do it, but man, it would get me further. And you see it just, oh, it's so taxing on them Yeah. because they don't have that hard no. They don't have the line in the sand of, I will not cross that line. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the case with most people. I'd be willing to bet my personal experience for sure tells me most people do not have written down values and also here's another thing too with the values is your rules that's that go right. with those values that's right um and the example i've always used with that is a, a classic place where where people can butt heads is parents and the, their values and their rules about raising their kids Mm -hmm. And they may have a value that says, we believe that it's important for our children to be respectful, right? Mm -hmm. And they agree 100%. No argument, 100%. We agree on that. And then one of their kids does something and dad says, hey, that was disrespectful. Go to your room. And then mom says, well, wait a second. What did he do? Well, he said such and such. And she goes, but that wasn't disrespectful. And now they realize, oh, we agree on respect is important. But what are the rules around what we decide uh, meets it the criteria? Means. What does that actually right. mean? Yes. Right? And so sometimes people, they never have those conversations. They, they go, oh, respect's important? Yes, cool, we agree. We're done and we're done with the conversation. And most of the time, they only have that rules conversation when something comes up and they realize there's a clash, there's a mismatch. Yep, yep Exactly. Exactly. And I think one of the things that was really hard when you do your values, they're never quite done from my experience, but, um, and I admire Ben Franklin who had his 13 virtues. He lived with his entire life and, and followed those. But for me, it's always thinking about prioritizing those items. So for example, family is a high, is a high number for me. And so if, for example, we have a family activity, we're going to be meeting with friends, we're going to be meeting with family, or we've got, let's say, a kid's baseball game or something like that, that always comes before my fitness. So I've got to run, find time to run outside of that family time because yes, health and fitness is important to me. Whoops. Sorry about that. Health and fitness is important to me, but it's not as important as my family. And so health and fitness, you, you fit into other things, just like reading and learning is important to me, but it's not as important as the family. So putting them in yep. priority makes a big difference. Yeah, I found that myself too, where um, the biggest challenge for me similarly is like, like work, business, and, and family. Um, where if, if something, it's, it's happened a lot, especially with the coach training, where a lot of the coaching practice calls, where we would practice coaching each other, the students that are in the program, Mm -hmm. are right in that like six, seven o'clock frame, And my mother, my mother lives with me and I cook her all her meals. 
and she's kind of regimented. She, she kind of needs to eat on a schedule. Yeah. And so I have to figure out a way around that. How do I schedule something around that? Cause yeah, they're both important, but family is for me, it, it's so high on the list that I got to figure out how to make the business work around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and you know, terrible. if, if you're just resourceful enough, it's, it's usually not that tough. Uh, my workaround has just been, you know, we have a group, a Facebook group with all the people that are in the program. I'll just go in the Facebook group and post, hey, I'm looking for a practice partner in, in these time frames, right? Yeah. And so it's a workaround. It takes a little extra effort, um, but there's almost always a workaround. And that's a really good point because I think so many times people perceive it as it's one or the other and it really doesn't have to be. And again, just like finding time to read or finding time for fitness. You, it's just have to find the time for it. You have to make the yeah, time for it. There's always a way to work around it, but you got to do some planning. Yeah. It's pretty rare that there's not a workaround. It's I, I find any of the times that I've decided, Oh gosh, I, you know, I just, I, I got to compromise this thing. Mm-hmm. What I realize if I really take the time to think about it is that either that thing is not as high a priority as I, as I said it was, or I'm being a little bit lazy and I don't want to put in the time and effort to figure it out. Cause sometimes mm-hmm. it takes a little time to sit down and go, okay, I got to get creative here. I got to think outside the box. The obvious uh, fixes aren't going to work here. Right. Right. So I got, I got to take some time and really kind of think through, do I need to ask somebody for help? Do I, you know, do I need a different resource or whatever? Um, yeah. Sometimes yeah. you need another resource. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You don't always have to do it all yourself, whatever that. I mean, fitness is hard to delegate, but uh, <laughs> but a lot of but, a lot of activities. But you know what? Tra- that's that's where trainers come in, though, right? That's true. You have to do the work yourself. But there was a. Um, I, I only did it for a month because I was trying to reach a specific fitness goal. But I joined this uh, gym that's like one of those boot camp style gyms. Yeah. And for me, I f- I found that worked great for me is part there's a lot of the different dynamics you know you're it's there's some team aspect to it because you're working with other people there's the trainer that's keeping you motivated and keeping you focused they're giving you feedback for me that was a, a great sort of augmentation if you will right yeah. he couldn't do the work for me but by having all that other support it was a um a way that it made it more uh it made it a little easier and, and a lot more efficient to get to yeah. my goal. That's a good point. And I think especially today, today's day and age, when you've got Zoom available and virtual training available, uh, you could literally, if you wanted to do your fitness training at 3 a.m. Eastern time, there's somebody in the world that could do an hour of fitness training with you. Um, yeah. I mean, virtually anywhere. Because, again, everything is virtual during this uh, COVID crisis. So, um, and I've got to be careful. I hate to use the word crisis because I understand that it is a crisis for people that are on, on oxygen with it. But for most of us, it's an inconvenience and it's one that we have to work around and there's ways around it. Um, so, anyways. Well, Steve, I think we need to wrap up here. Um, you and I could talk forever, but uh, <laughs> As entertaining, <laughs> as entertaining as I feel like we are, um, I think we need to keep this in, in a somewhat bite-sized nugget uh, when we do these podcasts. So um, I am looking forward to some of the people that we've talked about as guests to have on this program because getting different perspectives and hearing other people's stories and experiences, uh, I think is a great way for us and everybody else who listens to just see things in a, in a different way. Cause the, one of the biggest things I've learned in the, the past handful of years is there's almost never one answer of the one way to do something. Something yeah. strikes everybody different. And so by hearing different perspectives and stories, people can go, Oh, take that from him and that from him and that from him and, and kind of put it all together. And the, uh, the other thing I really enjoy is the fact that we get to pick and choose who we really want to hear from and, and learn from. So uh, I'm looking forward to learning from some of these folks because I know they'll have some, some great insights into uh, their experiences that relates to the four pieces of ramp. Yep, I agree. 
All right, man. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up. And sure. uh, wherever you guys are watching or listening from, we'll see you next time on the show. Make sure you subscribe. Thanks. Oh, good idea. <laughs>